Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day, scholars, and welcome to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching. I'm your sometimes host, back again this week, your returning champion, Dom Philp on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. Hey, we're coming to you most weeks on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And the best way that you can support is to rate, review, subscribe. You could tweet us out, especially if you found us over there on Twitter. There must be like 100,000 followers or some shit over there. Um, By the way, it's at WSBFUN over there on Twitter. Well, you could add this to your Twitter stream, Twitter what what's it called twitter something you know tweet it out that's it um if you found us on instagram hey you know what almost 1500 followers over there which i've been really happy about even though i'm not posting any memes it's at wrestling should be fun or one word maybe you could add this to your instagram story or you could as always you know write a letter to your nan or ring your mum or whatever you want to do um that's about it for me. I'm going to just about sign off here and welcome our guests this week. We've got Ross the Boss Casey and we've got the con man Matt Connolly and Matthew Brummett from Leeds will also join us later on, I believe. Fellas, what's occurring? Hey, bro. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, man. I'm just, I'm so happy that I got that all in one take there. <laughs> yeah. good as well. All good. All good here and all. Right, excellent stuff. Uh, I'm going to pass it over to Ross and let's get the, the wheels turning. I haven't been here for probably a month and a half. So um, do we still do the call-up sheet, Ross? We still do the call-up sheet, yeah. Let, uh, let me quickly head to Twitter and head you some names. So let's do the jingle. Excellent. Cheers, Phil. <laughs> Mate, I, can I say before we start, I'm so glad that I'm not editing this anymore. Like, it's so good. It's so, so good. I can just roll in, just <laughs> bring some charisma, go as long as we want. This, sh- this week, we're going fucking long, lads. <laughs> okay, sorry, Ross. Call up sheet. Let's go. Call up sheet. Let's go. Okay, so let's start off with Hunter and my cypher eyes. <laughs> um, I think... I think Hunter is, when I was a kid in Australia, I don't reckon, this is going to be a real, real niche reference, but just the word Hunter, most people would think of Triple H, but I think of this children's TV show about a detective called Hunter. And the way, it was like an educational detective program. And what would happen is Hunter, who was like a detective, would have to solve a mystery, but he would have to do it using like spelling and grammar and maths. It was like it was kind of like a Blues Clues, but before Blues Clues. So um, I can see Hunter, the detective, um, being on ECW's sci-fi show, Hunter and Sci-Fi. There you go, off the top of my head. Love it. <laughs> what was the second part of his name, Ross? Sci. Um, so I think I've got it right. It's, it's um, Hunter and my Sci-Fries or my Sci-Fries, my Sci-Fries. Yeah, it's like a like a play on sci-fi, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had nothing for it. Hunter evokes, whereas you say it was this uh, English detective guy, I've got uh, the gladiator hunter in my head, uh, who I think was a Yorkshire lad from the 90s, so I'll run with him as well. Ulrika Johnson was a big fan. Should we take a quick straw poll over 
will more people understand the Gladiator reference or the Hunter Detective Children's Show from the eighties? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely one to put out on um on um on Instagram stories, Dom. <laughs> Mate, the, the engagement couldn't be any worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up we've got Nicholas Coldwell. Uh, I like this isn't a wrestling gimmick. I, I'm just riffing on names. It sounds like you know, like he's a guy that he's often feeling ill with the flu. He's got a cold, and then he feels better straight away. Maybe he's like he could be like a spokesman for like uh, Brondicon or like Night Nurse or something like that. Coldwell, he goes from one to the other. You know, <laughs> how you how, how you feeling, Nick? Oh, mate, I was rough earlier, but now I'm fine. Let's get this match going. <laughs> Love it. How about you, Matt? Anything for Nicholas Coldwell? I can't improve on that. I think Dom's uh, summed him up nicely, taking every part of the name literal and <laughs> a gimmick out of it. I'm, I'm all for it. Fantastic stuff. Okay, so next up, we've got Osito. O-S-I-T-O. Now, if he doesn't wear a mask and flip about, there's something wrong, right? <laughs> that sounds such a fun name. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's got to be, he's got to be a luchador for sure. I- I'm bringing his chant. So we're going to rip off Grado's chant. O-S-I-T-O. It's yourself. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> uh, next up, let's go with a professional wrestler. Big JR the GOAT. Like, when you say a professional wrestler, like this guy, he's, a, he's an actual wrestler? Apparently so, yeah. Big JR. Big JR the GOAT. So it's not Jim Ross? It's not Jim Ross. Oh, <laughs> we, we we also we send our well wishes to Jim Ross Jr. Yeah, um, like, I think he's got to be like a literal goat. I think he's like Randy the Ram from the wrestler fame. Uh, <laughs> can we what like we got quick? Let's see some puns about what his finisher would be if he was like an actual goat. Um, mm. <laughs> I think uh, his tag team partner could be Gabriel Kidd. Uh. What do goats do? Uh, I don't know. Do they? Yeah. What do goats do? Don't, don't mountain goats just like headbutt each other a lot, right? Yeah. So like they're gonna have some headbutts in the offense. One hundred percent. All I could think of were headbutts. Um, <laughs> isn't there like what? Like, I was thinking of like the Billy Goats Gruff. You know that like yeah. story, that fairy tale, like something about trolls, maybe. Maybe maybe he's like maybe his gimmick is that he like just hates the internet and trolls. And like he, he's campaigning. He's like, uh, and he just has a big long feud with Mad Kurt. <laughs> I'm into it. And last but not, and not least, let's go with Chris G from Chicago. Uh, Warren G's second cousin. He's going <laughs> to re- regulate. <laughs> Love that. Simple as. And that's the call up sheet for this week. Thanks so much again for all of the entries and I'll be in touch with everyone who we called out in the DMs and make sure that that, that you listen on Friday. It's a good little fucking stick we got going here trying to get people to listen just to hear the right <laughs> names. It's, it's, it is, I don't know if we've ever acknowledged it, but it is, we're, we're doing pretty well. It's good, good, it's proper carny. I completely stole it off Conan too, who did the same to us. Yeah. <laughs> but then um, he called us out on his show and called us wrestling should be flun. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny because like 
I could totally see like someone writing in from Twitter with the nickname K Dog and asking us to fucking give it a gimmick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, um, right. Uh, what's the rest of this week, fellas? And actually, we've, you know, secretly, we're not really drawing attention to it, but we've actually got two weeks of wrestling to talk about in what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you a la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 come on. A la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 yeah. Okie dokie. So, fellas, I know, Ross, we've got to start off strong here because I know you are absolutely buzzing to talk about Crown Jewel <laughs> and then and then possibly the subsequent SmackDown and I've actually seen both of those things. Want me to hold on to your time. I'll, I'll let you start off, mate. What do you got for us? Yeah, so obviously I was called out in the group chat by Dom for liking a show. <laughs> After I'd had about 10 points. <laughs> but yeah, I don't feel that I was particularly standing on the top of a mountain saying it was amazing, but I did say that it was definitely the best Saudi show so far. It featured the Hell in the Cell match, which I think was absolutely fantastic and a fitting end to a trilogy in WWE and probably other than the Roman Reigns stuff, probably the longest best story that uh, that they've told this year in the WWE. Uh, Both have obviously been amazing in terms of the promos. All three of the matches have been good to great and arguably the Hell in a Cell match was the best one of the three. Um, so it's a great way to kick the show off. Um, and then alongside that, we also had a Goldberg match that didn't embarrass him. Um, a Goldberg match that um, he, once again, similar to, to SummerSlam, he actually sold his leg pretty well, I thought, in that match. Obviously, he didn't sell it at the end when he sprinted off the stage and speared him <laughs> through some tables. But um, other than that, stellar work from Goldberg. And we also had some fantastic matches in terms of uh, Woods against Balor, I thought was a really good match. A face-to-face match is always fairly difficult to pull off in terms of making someone not look like a heel. And I think that, that they did that really well. And I think it was the right person who went over in that match. And Drew versus Biggie in particular, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Love that match. Big meaty men sm- uh, slapping me as Biggie once called it. Um, absolutely brilliant. And the fact that they had Biggie kick out of a uh, Claymore, they had drew kick out of a big ending so both were kept strong um, um so that was great and the main event whilst the, the finish wasn't exactly the most pleasing in terms of uh it was a finish that just kind of was a um this story must continue type finish to, to the match and the feud the work leading up to that was great brock just looks like an absolute specimen love watching him work and it's rare that we do these days and it was a bit of a treat so all in all, I thought it was a, re- a really solid show and I'd be intrigued to know why Dom didn't like it. <laughs> I think, like, most of the things that you've said, I, d- I didn't not like it. Like, it was fine. But, like, the reason I didn't like it is because you just wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was one of those things where, like, if, if someone tells you that something is amazing, it's kind of hard to, like go into it with an open mind. I, it was, yeah, it was just, I thought it was just fine. But like my, my argument was, this is generally the most negative sort of conversation I've ever had about wrestling on this podcast and with you guys. But I just kind of thought that, and I, cause it wasn't just you, Ross. I saw a lot of people on social media talking about how great the show was and stuff like that. 
And like, there's this one sort of account that like kind of follows us and I follow them on Instagram that gave like Edge and Rollins five and a half stars, like on there. And then like gave, gave the women's match five stars. And I'm like, I did a massive disservice by not mentioning that triple threat. That was brilliant. Um, yeah. And I, I enjoyed both those matches too. Like they were both great matches. But it was fun. It's a fun show, right? But I do think sometimes now with WWE, I do think people just like because a lot of the product is a bit subpar. And I like I'm I, I don't want to rag on WWE because I still like it, but a lot of the product is subpar. Monday Night Raw, for example, is really poor. And I just think anytime that they give us kind of anything that's you know not subpar i think we get a bit too excited right and i i just thought okay this was a fun show but for me there were two aw shows that were better than it in the last two weeks on tv not pay-per-view and not earning 25 million of newcastle united's money like (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i'd you're bitter. That's the real reason. You could have had that 25 million to sign Scott McTominay. <laughs> we could, mate, we could have. If you're listening, Scotty, we'll see you in January. <laughs> Can you imagine McTominay and the Longstaffs? What a three man. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Brum. All right, lads, how's it going? Very well. Ross has just spoken for 45 minutes about Crown Jewel. You've missed nothing. <laughs> I just wanted to add on about Crown Jewel, and Ross did. Uh, give the match the love it deserved. And I know people are maybe going a bit wild about HSF, but I did think it was a great piece of business. Even taking away just like the insane Seth bump where he took that table bump like a maniac. And the story is brilliant because the story, obviously, I mean, I know you guys know, but we're talking for it with uh, the whole that, you know, Seth doesn't want to be compared to Edge. And the finish of the match is Edge having to go into Seth's playbook to put him away. Like, that's brilliant. It's just a brilliant story. And like them, them exchanging moves with each other just plays into everything they've been talking about. That even though neither of them really want to be compared to the other one, they're similar and they're willing to go to those lengths of being the other one to beat them. Like I was saying this to Brom on Sunday. I think the reason that these matches sometimes get lost is every WWE feud is a three-parter now. Like they, it's just a beast, isn't it, for the content? And we don't get like one-off feuds and matches anymore. It's always in three parts. So sometimes I get lost. But this story from start to finish, I think with Edge and Seth has been brilliant. Yeah, well, I, like, yeah. Hard to, hard to argue with that, for sure. And it, it definitely did a good part of the show. And you know what? It was a four-hour show. And like Ross said, it did it did move quickly. You know, I, I'm kind of just saying things to other WWE stuff. It makes it look better. But I still enjoyed it, right? I still watched it. I enjoyed it. It was great. And you know what? I would have absolutely fucking loved it if I watched it with people as well. Also, it was I nice think, having wrestling on at a social When tournament. you're sitting on your own. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then that sort of went into SmackDown. I didn't know if Ross wanted to talk about like the flow over with Brock and Roman. And I thought Brummett might have wanted to talk about his favorite wrestler of all time, Scrap Iron. <laughs> yeah. Brum, did you get a chance to see this segment? I mean, I saw a picture of Pierce with his thighs out, but that's it. <laughs> but I just, all I give a shit about, is he going to wrestle again and is he going to beat Roman? Or Brock? <laughs> or both. So that's what I want. So according to, uh, I, th- I think it was 90s that put it in the chat, the, um, the term scrap iron has been copyrighted 
which is exciting. The thing is, though, if he does wrestle, it'll be like a joke wrestler. And, like, yeah. Adam Pearce is the wrestler Triple H wishes he was. I just wish we could have could get, like, that Adam Pearce, NWA champ Adam Pearce, like, in the WWE, just being... Because he could be... Like, his style fits that. Give him, like, 20-minute long or more, like, half an hour long NWA title defences. For Crown Jewel, you could have him and Brent Albright against Lesnar and Roman and going over. But they're not going to do it, are they? He's just going to get squashed in a minute and, like, be seen as a joke when he's absolutely cracking wrestler. I'll tell you who he's going to wrestle, Brum. I watched SmackDown for the first time in a long time. I think he's going to have a match with Sonya Deville. I think it's going to be something about like the general manager of SmackDown or something. But it'll be a joke match, and it'll be seen like Adam Pearce will be presented like, oh, he's like a GM character, and he's not. He's fucking, he's fucking scrap iron, and it's going to annoy me because to all WWE fans, which is what like ninety five percent of the wrestling fan base market, they're just going to see him as like a Micah Damley kind of character, and he's like, it's fucking Adam Pearce, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Bot. Main evented the first. The first anniversary of PWG show, you know, best out of seven with Colt Cabana for the NWA title. Yeah. Was a boss in Tijuana before like that promotion got pulled because of drug running. Like he's just he's all he's been a boss all the time. Do you, do you know about Adam Pierce? He was actually um WCW and WF were both massively sniffing around with him in like the kind of dying days of WCW. Then he was kind of like a long haired, like hot like baby face did fucking hurricane runners and shit. And like, there was rumors he, he was going to explode. It never really happened. Also, he was, Heyman hated Pierce for years because Heyman thought he'd booked Pierce on like an original ECW show. And he thought, Pierce no showed, but Pierce just never knew about it. So he was like, like literally at one point, he could have been in in the kind of attitude here in either WCW, WWF, or ECW, but just just nothing really dropped. I think he was kind of in like a long term relationship at the time, didn't want to move or something. But yeah, like so, if that happened, we could be talking about Pierce now as a five time, you know, a former ECW champion or a former WCW or a multiple time WF champion, but. Um, now we're talking about, oh, we might get a match against Sonya Deville, and I just think it's quite sad. It's one of those alternate universe interesting yeah. ones to think about, isn't it? Like, yeah. the big one that I think about as well is that story about how Christopher Daniels was originally slated to be the higher power of The Undertaker for the ministry. Like, imagine, like, just those two. Like, it just could have been completely different for wrestling. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. Um, you know what my favourite part of SmackDown is, genuinely? Fucking, oh, now I've forgotten his name. The punter who is now a commentator. Pat McAfee. Helmsley. Yeah, mate. Pat McAfee is fucking jokes. He's actually, he actually really adds to the show. I, I know I've just completely disrespected him by forgetting his name. But he gen, I really, really enjoy his commentary. I like his bit about Lesnar where he says about how, like, I'm sure everyone listens to this follows WWE probably, but he does this bit about how if we were going to pick a fight with the aliens, we'd send Brock Lesnar as our champion type of thing. He's just awesome, man. Like, he, he just says things that no other wrestling commentator has ever said. Whereas, like, on the other channel, for example, like Excalibur just does Jim Ross bits. Do you know, like, it's almost like there's been, there's not been a wrestling commentator that does their own bits for a long time, whereas at least McAfee does. Like, it's not Jerry Lawler. He actually has his own jokes, which and like, his own lines. I, I really enjoy his stuff. 
that was probably my favourite part of all of SmackDown. And he actually comes across like he enjoys being there, which helps. Oh yeah, he did like a, he actually like WWE very rarely mention like other promotions, do they? But he actually on SmackDown he was like, "This is you won't get action like this on any other channel from any other promotion." Like, do you get um with 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 McAfee? Do you assume because he like he doesn't do it for the money, he just does it because he loves it? Do you think he gets producer in his ear stuff really, or is that a lot toned down to what other people get? Do you think? I think he does. I think Vince wouldn't have it any other way. But he, and he just puts like, up with it because he loves it. Well, he might. He, he also might be accepting of that he needs it. Like some people probably, you know, some people might appreciate the guidance and the producing. And then probably actually because of his background in like elite level sports, he's probably used to old men shouting at him, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Billionaires. Yeah, but but seriously, it's like a you, you, you know if you're ingrained as that from a kid, having kind of more senior male kind of respectful figures just abusing their power against you is is probably quite like genuine. I'm being being like kind of serious. Like you're probably just indoctrinated to it, and you think, oh, it's a good thing. I'll learn from it, rather than other people who've maybe come from a more media background who are just like, what the fuck is going on? You know, like yeah. I guess the uh, main thing to talk about um, from SmackDown, other than that, really hot. A segment where Lesnar's been indefinitely suspended, and I'm sure we'll come back at possibly Rumble or something like that. Was the end a segment which caused all kinds of gossip on the wrestling dirt sheets and whatnot between Becky and Charlotte, where things seemingly went off script and it certainly didn't make for great TV? Any thoughts on what happened there? I wonder if I didn't. Like, because the version I saw, I wonder if I saw, like, edited stuff. Because, like, there there was nothing really in the version I saw that seemed out of line. It was just, they were there, Charlotte dropped the belt or whatever, and then Charlotte says, oh, why don't we, you know, do you want to be Becky two belts? We could do it this evening. And then Sasha interrupts straight away. So did I see an edited version? Was there more to it than that? So seemingly, um, Charlotte dropped the belt when she shouldn't have dropped the belt. And then it, it like made just like awkward TV where Sonia had to be like pick like pick it up. Yeah, it's weird right. because Charlotte's permanent in a monologue is Charlotte dropped the belt when Charlotte shouldn't have dropped the belt, right? <laughs> <laughs> and according to the dirt sheets, um, there was like borderline skirmishes backstage with both Becky and Sonia with Charlotte, and Charlotte was then taken out of the building by security, which sounds mental. And they're going to have a match soon. So it would be really good if these two legitimately didn't like each other. It would make that Survivor Series match a hell of a lot better, brother. Absolutely. Well, it felt a bit like that the the other year with uh, Becky and Ronda, right? Yeah, the one that sadly didn't happen, yeah. But then Becky and Charlotte had a banger, didn't they? Ronda and Charlotte did. Like, do you think there's any, like, just, I guess this sort of ties in where we're doing our gossip bit, but do you think there's any, like, any steam behind this chat about Charlotte to AEW? I'd be amazed if she was able to walk out of that contract. I don't know. Is that what? What is? Is it a long contract with the dates? Well, it can't be anything less than a year, right? I'm imagining. Yeah. So no. So yeah. So what I'm guessing by that is we don't, no one has any idea. <laughs> <laughs> no. But basically, for her to go to AW, she would have to get fired up. I'm thinking. I will actually tune back into WWE Weekly TV if it's Charlotte just trying to get fired each week. <laughs> <laughs> This ties into a non-wrestling story. I hope uh, the listeners will indulge me for a second, but one of my favourite pieces of, like, radio of all time, so the Australian version of, like, BBC Radio 1, it's called Triple J. 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 Triple J.
it's on the ABC. So the same thing, no ads, no promotional consideration, stuff like that. So there's rules that as a host, you um, you have to follow. And the, the two breakfast hosts were in a band called Friends or Wrong. So they were kind of known as like being musicians. <laughs> Friends or Wrong. That is yeah. a reference I wasn't expecting to get, to get dropped today. <laughs> well, yeah. So anyway, Friends or Rom used to host the breakfast show on the Australian equivalent of BBC Radio 1. Right. And it was very, very popular and they were funny and stuff like that. But so it got to the point where um, Jay, who's the lead singer of Friends or Rom, he decided that he was going to lead the breakfast show. But they did this bit for like a week where instead of him quitting, he was trying to get himself fired so he could go and claim um, like the pension straight away. <laughs> so like it, it was just like the best radio. So like for a week, because there's like a rule where if you're a musician, you can't play your own music. So he just kept playing Friends or Rom songs. And then he'd, like, he'd just swearing as much as he could. And he'd be like, like he'd come back from playing his own song. He'd be like, hmm, that's beautiful Coca-Cola. You know, just, I just, yeah, it was just great stuff. It'd be great if Charlotte started doing that. What would Charlotte's equivalent be? Just getting on the mic and being like, Vince told me to do rides this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm forming a union. <laughs> Just completely messing up people's names as well, like calling Sasha Rio or something. Eo Shirai, calling a Rio Shirai. <laughs> do you want to um, move on to A-Dub? Yeah, well, I didn't know, Ross, if you wanted to do like it. Was there any NXT or NXT UK you wanted to talk about? The only thing to say that I hadn't, that I hadn't spoken of in the previous week because we missed it was just to go out of your way to watch A-Kid and Dragonoff because it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, I've, I've seen that as well. Just uh, back Ross on that. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, t- top 10 matches of the year. Nice one. Would it, like it, so which, it would have been seven stars if it was on Crown Jewel, Ross, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they both wore really long T-shirts over their, over their stuff, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> over their stuff! Is that, what, is that how you describe the female anatomy? <laughs> I was talking about eight kids in that actually. Outstanding. That's really good. Um, yeah, yeah, AEW. Let's do some AEW stuff. So what's going on there over there in AEW? What about fucking Lance Archer landing on his face? Yeah. Oh. I was super worried watching that live. He must have been absolutely knocked loopy, right? Yes. I'm happy that um, the match ended immediately. After that and Ibushi, can we just be like fucking like 70s Southern Territories and just ban fucking top rope moves? Jesus. Like to have those two like kind of quite high profile ones happen in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. And then on NXT as well, um, the young lass from Toxic Attraction did a tope and landed on her face as well. Yeah, Jade. Is it JC? Yeah, Jade. Yeah, JC Jane, is it somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, it looked, it was pretty nasty as well, to be honest. She had to leave the match. Yeah. Turns out that, you know, these wrestlers are human and we shouldn't just, you know, laugh when they botch. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think I've said it before, but wrestling's really fucking hard. And, And if you look at it, obviously I fucking use every opportunity to slag off Archer. I'll give him a week off this week, but that's a spot that he just does all, like, not all the time, but that's like, that's a move that he, you know, he, he would do 
99 times out of 100 absolutely fine, but the issue is it's that, or more, maybe 999 times out of 1,000, but it's that one in 1,000, right, that when it doesn't happen, it's, it's fucking brutal. Yeah. Thank God that it was nothing more serious than what it was. Long term, that is not, as we know. That's it's not fun. Yeah. Obviously, Eddie Kingston's an absolute professional. I applaud the way that he was able to sort of finish that with a pinning combination that actually made it look like it was still an athletic contest because, you know, you can see sometimes guys do freeze in that situation too. So, you know, like, you know, it, it just, again, showed what a professional Eddie Kingston is too. Not, I not don't that think you need to finish those matches, right? I don't think you need to finish those matches. I think the ref can just call it, right? Like, I think everyone knows what's going on there when he's coming in and doing that pinfall. I think if yeah. you just say, call it, ref called the match. TKO. Yeah, yeah, TKO, yeah. And and the heat goes to the doctor as well, doesn't it? Like, if you're worried about, oh, you know, like, because then the next week, if Lance Archer, you know, he can cut a promo, that fucking doctor, I was ready to get back in there. Yeah, yeah, spot on, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it's, especially AW's market, which is, you know, it's the people watching that know what's happening. Like, you don't need it, just call it. Yeah. Going back to the actual stuff that was happening on, on Dynamite, did any of you guys see the interview between Danielson and Kingston? No, I what? didn't actually. No, what was that on? I don't know if it was just online or if it was on something else, but it was fantastic, right? So Danielson comes in to the locker room with, with um, Shivani where Kingston is, and Kingston's basically saying, like, like blowing this interview off, saying that it's a waste of his time almost. And Danielson gets really in his face and really serious and is like, you've been in this industry for 20 odd years. You're an incredible pro wrestler and you have never been a world champion because you don't put the work in. You don't train properly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Kingston comes back at him saying like, I didn't even want this interview. I don't have to put up, put up with this shit. We'll see who wins next week and storms out. And Danielson then just then says the final line of Kingston won't win because he can't do enough training in one week to make up for his last 20 Yes, absolutely savage. Eddie was Chikara's first ever grand champion, so it's a world title in my books. <laughs> Little stuff like that that um, the AEW do, I absolutely love. Well, it's it's interesting as well. Again, we, we chat offline, and some for some reason AEW's got his reputation as like a work rate company. That's a little bit of that in, but I, I just think it's really good at sports entertainment. My two favourite things from AW over the past week, was it, I think, was um, the Page promo and the MJF promo. I thought both were absolutely gold. And probably two things that entertain me most, like Brian Suzuki and, and Brian. Uh, Brian um, Goldust as well was cracking. Yeah, my two favourite things, those two promos probably. We've spoken on this podcast recently about how MGF's promos are starting to not quite hit what they were, but he was back with a bang um, yeah. last week. He was fantastic. And then to, to, to like not only have the uh, words being said, but then to also have like Sting like almost um, kind of battered and bruised, holding him up, like holding him up to really exemplify the kind of stuff that he does, obviously, with the Luger stuff, which was a little bit close to the bone. But, but I don't mind it when it's followed up, which was something that, that wasn't previously happening. Yeah, and, and, and at the end, when, when MJF was just staring in the camera, holding Sting, cutting that promo, fucking megastar, isn't he? So good. Just to, like, see the picture of MJF holding up Sting, like, it's almost mm -hmm. like um, this absolute Hall of Fame legend, and MJF, this, like, you know, the guy that's that constantly saying that he's, that, that, that he's the future, and he keeps on saying it, and it's, and it's not quite hitting yet, 
but but like step by step, it's getting there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I just thought that was gold. You mentioned the page promo there as well, right? Like, I felt like it was a real watershed moment for me for like Hangman, as in like obviously it was for the storyline of him, you know, acknowledging his mental health issues and saying that he's found a way to overcome them that isn't alcohol. Like, I like storytelling, but also just to give him the microphone and say, hey, go and fill eight minutes, and he did it, and in a great way. I just thought that I was like, wow, that's not something that I knew that he could do as a worker. And I just really, I was like, fuck, this guy is really, really arriving. You know, here, here he is. And maybe full gear is the time. I don't, I don't think there's any question. I, I think you're talking, I'd give you one in four odds, Page wins. I just can't really see him not winning. I can't really see him push it, pushing it longer. And I know that's probably a lot bolder than what most people think. But um, AW generally with its title moves, I don't think there's a lot of mega surprises with it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like, oh, this should happen now. And it does. And, but it's just done in a, the right way. I, I think this is the, the way to go. As like an old school wrestling fan, um, I always love the fact that like proper baby faces don't lie. And the fact that he didn't, that, that he promised to give everything and leave it all out on the ring with his cowboy shit but he didn't go as far as to say, I guarantee that I'm winning that title. I was a big fan of that. Do you think that means that he's not going to win? I don't think that, that it means that he's not going to win, but if he doesn't win, like nobody can go back and say, like, like you know, I believed in you and you said that you were going to win it and you didn't. Because that's that's a Bret Hart thing, Ross, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Bret, Bret said that he never promised to win a match that he didn't go and win. So like, I wonder, like, geez, I hope you haven't given us a spoiler there. <laughs> I'm sure I haven't. Yeah. Page is winning that. Page is winning that. I'm not looking um, idiot now, but Page is winning that. I'm doing a terrible job of hosting, but like I was thinking about, well, what then what happens with Page? Could it be heel Cody tying back into what happened this week on the television? Well, I, th- I think immediately it's Page Mox, right? That'll be the next pay-per-view. The eventual guy that'll beat him will be um, probably a good n- at least nine months from now, maybe a year, but it'll be MG- MJF, I think. The next guy to beat him. Interesting. So you think you think Mox is going to win this tournament then? Yeah, yeah. As a villain, as a as a as a heel, the heel side of tweener. Yeah, they're not going to go full mustache twirling with Mox, but he's going to be on the he's going to be the heel for that match with Danielson, and he'll be the heel for that match with Page, and he'll be Dicky all the way through, and they could keep him. In and around that, I think Kingston will still be his kind of will be with him, but it'll be more the angel in his ear. If they turn Mox, they turn Mox on Kingston. I don't think they do it. I think they'll just keep it bubbling around and then decide what to do. And I think Mox will be just heel or face, depending who he fights. And and I think eventually, probably in off the top of my head, maybe about a year's time, maybe less. I think you'll eventually see um, Mox Punk. And I think maybe, um, I'm not sure which what the alignments will be, but if it's sooner rather than later, so if it's sort of like summer next year, I think you'll probably see heel mocks versus face punk. And that might be the last face stuff you see from punk. I think they'll probably probably turn him in 12 to 18 months. I know that we spoke offline, me and Bram, about this. And this was previous to uh, seeing the weekend AEW content. And we were under the, under the impression as Brum's just laid out there about um, Mox turning slightly villainous. Um, I do think, though, that after that interview with Danielson and Kingston, potentially Kingston could be the one that costs Danielson in the final. Oof. Bold. 
that's Baldross. Hmm. I think I'm, be, I, you know, a part of me is interested by it, but I think I'd be, I'd be more against, I'd be probably against that. Because I just think that that, A, I don't like that those kind of finishes in, ge- in general. I think they should be so unbelievably rare in wrestling. And an AW are, are, are mostly pretty good. Oh, fuck me, that that Hobbs OC finish was awful. But um, I think um, I'd be, yeah, I'd be, I'd be disappointed. In that. And you don't need to do it. I don't think you need to do it because actually having Mox um, beat Danielson in a heelish manner, but without going full mustache twirling, I think is probably the way to go. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like just just to add to the like, I think you you can have Mox use a weapon or something as well because that's kind of his thing too. Yeah. You know, with, without being like you like you describe it, mustache twirling. Yeah, that's fair. A con man, um, have you seen this weekend's AEW? No, I haven't seen AEW for a minute. The only AEW I've seen lately was uh, was Brian Suzuki, and uh, I might try and catch an episode or two before the pay per view. But um, that's not anything to do with the product or anything. Like uh, as you all know, bloody love Hangman. I want him to bring the big one home. Uh, yeah, just haven't got around to it really. You lot are selling it to me, so I was just about to ask you your thoughts on the main event because it seemed to um, divide the internet. What was the main event? Uh, it was Cody and Malachi Black. Oh, I'm getting, yeah, did Cody win then? Is that why? Yeah. I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. You guys unpack it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, so so Cody won the match to rapturous booze. <laughs> but I personally feel like story-wise, it made sense, right? Because Cody's been told for weeks and weeks and weeks now that he's soft and that he hasn't got any killer instinct. And in this match, he had to show killer instinct to put him away and he didn't just do the crossroads he did the tiger driver 98 right and that's a killer move so narrative wise it made sense right before we move on did you think for a second he was going to fucking pedigree him i did yeah yeah <laughs> I nearly, my brain nearly exploded and that's on purpose right cody's not stupid that's that was there he was he was expecting he, he thought people think he's going to pedigree him. that's yeah. why he chose that move yeah, like it, it, it. Sometimes it is hard to tell with Cody whether he is stupid or whether he's the smartest person in the history of wrestling. If you actually, if you if you read his kind of in, his his interviews, which are kind of like non non kayfabe interviews, he seems like he knows what what he's talking about. But then, if you look at the finishes of some of his matches, like I don't know, you know, Ross, I don't disagree with your point, but what you've got to remember is there's two people in that match, right? And though Cody's story is one that is internally consistent. What's that mean for Black, right? Comes in as this, like, unstoppable force. And it's like, as soon as Cody goes a bit fuller, he's just like, yeah, just just beats him. And I think it's... um, Yeah, but also, like, it wasn't clean, was it? Like, there was a lot of overbooking in that match. There was Brock Anderson, there was Arn Anderson, and he's already beaten Cody twice, is it? Is that right? Yeah. So it's not like, you know... He's down. Yeah, but but, I think, but it, it just all feels a bit lazy. Like, it's just a, like a bit like, oh, like, he's won this, he won this, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's got, you know, Cody's overcome the issue, and then he wins. And it's just like, it's it's just all a bit pound shop comic book. Did, did you see Malachi, Malachi Black's in, um, Instagram post? No. So he basically said, everyone will enter my, like, black void and yeah you may have won the fight but i but i won the war because twenty thousand people hate you 
Sorry, Dom. No, no, you go. I was, I was going to say, if that's um, A, I, I like that, Ross, and I hope that ran that just being an Instagram post, that they put that on screen and he says something similar to that. Um, and then that's, it means something and it's relevant rather than it just being a, a bit yeah. of a social media thing. And what people are now saying, like, like on that post, there's obviously like thousands of comments because it's buzzworthy. A lot of people are saying that, is this going to be now the, the point where the character becomes Tommy End, where he's now like no longer Malachi Black until someone turns him, if that makes sense. And he's going to be constantly this kind of Finn Balor type character going from one to the other. That is, if you in- introduce Tommy End and then Malachi Black appears like in a, in, a, in a heated thing, you can go back to it. But for, you know, to now try and reintroduce Tommy End when he's not the first character that people in AWC is, is convoluted. And I think is, is like for us, you know, like that, oh, that's quite a cool thing. But actually thinking of it overall for their wider fan base, it's, it's a bit of a strange move to the point that I think they've, uh, they've made their bed and they've got to line it with Malachi now. Fair, fair. I'm probably somewhere in between. I thought Brum has been a little bit harsh. I thought it was pretty good storytelling and I, I really kind of grasped onto that wrinkle about Black. His main objective was to corrupt Cody and, you know, and like also I really did feel like this was, it was by design that the fans booed Cody. I don't think it was just fans turning against him and rebelling. I thought it was actually exactly what they wanted because of the the involvement of Arn Anderson and stuff like that and Arn has been acting like a genuine heel in those vignettes. Like, they beat the shit out of him. And Cody's like, what the fuck are we doing here? And Arn's like, I'm beating the shit out of you because you're a soft cunt. And everyone thinks the story was meant to be, oh, Cody turns on Arn to stay babyface. But no, actually, it went the other way. And he's like, oh, okay, now I'm I'm with you. And he's a bad guy too, right? So I, I really enjoyed that wrinkle. One quick point, Dom, on that. Did, I don't know. Did you catch, because it was the other way around this week, you? did you catch Rampage before Dynamite where they had the thing where um, Arn comes out and does the fucking Glock point to Malachi and then Cody comes and attacks him? Yeah. That, for me, and and, and, and I think the, the way that you put those points together, Dom, I, I can't argue it from that side, but that is like a huge baby face pop, like the fucking arm glock things over his foot. And then to yeah. do it, to get Cody to do that, is set up as a big baby face pop. And that is just the thing that's like wrinkling in my mind. That is that, is actually that, is this supposed to be that, the overcoming, you know, baby face story and arm being like a tough coach? Because that's like a trope throughout like 80s and 90s cinema, isn't it? Like the tough love coach bringing you up and then you, and then the guy, the protagonist does get a bit tougher, you know, when he has to and then overcomes the baddie, but it's okay because he did it. He was t- he was bad, but he did it to a baddie. That's how I more felt that I was, I was going to, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's how you guys see it. The last interesting part about the Rampage into Dynamite segment was the use of the chair, right? So... Like Black gets out of the way when Cody picks up the chair. And then, you know, I think the the idea is like Black is like, oh, yeah, here we go, mate. Yeah, I see what you, yeah, you, you've resorted to the chair now and the weapon. Like, I've got you where I want you. I've got you. Like, I think that was part of it too, because the chair was such a big part of the match on Dynamite. And it was actually, it was actually the low point of the action. 
Because like it, there was like this really weird part for like a couple of minutes where they were both just outside the ring looking at each other and like looking at the chair and then they both bladed. It was like, for me, it was the only down part of the match because I, I, I'll say it now, I thought it was... I thought it was maybe like the best sort of Malachi Black match that I've seen since he's been on any TV. I really, I, I actually just enjoyed the match, story or not. But um, yeah, the chair, I think maybe there was more story with the chair that maybe I'm not smart enough to understand because there was that weird part of the match where they were just outside for two minutes looking at the chair. So according to Meltzer, I think, apparently it was because it, Andrade did a bit of a Papa Shango and missed his cue. Yeah, to be honest, that did seem apparent as well. I was absolutely gutted that you followed that up and he missed his cue. I thought he genuinely thought he was going to do some voodoo. (laughs) (laughs) And then Cody's feet were on fire. (laughs) 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 Just one last quick note on this feud. Um, Like, AEW must know what they're doing in terms of trying to get Cody booed because what was the reasoning for... Malachi Black, this like dark, ominous character that only wants people to be sad and lonely as he is. What was the reasoning for him to have that match with Dante Martin and then look back at him and gave him a nod almost as like, yes, kid, sort of like that sort of stuff is a babyface trope added on to a character who fans clearly already have taken to and want to do well. Yeah, like lo- loads of people um, in the 90s really used to like cheer and pray that The Undertaker would bury heels alive. So well, I, can, I can see it. He's, I can see him being a baby face. Hail Satan. <laughs> Anything else, AEW wise, guys? I'm sure, I'm sure there's fucking loads. I just, you know, like that, that, that was the main thing for me. Um, and the main takeaway is that it was better than Crown Jewel. But there you go, Ross. <laughs> My one negative on the show was um, that Bob Dylan, Sammy G thing was fucking too long and rubbish. Oh, like, why are they trying to make that a thing? American Plop Team. Wow. But then, like, but he'd already done a promo on them. Why do it? Why then come out and do that as well? I think the thinking behind it was that Lambert said that he was shit on the stick, right? So he was kind of saying, like, okay, I won't speak. I'll just use these. Like, I think- uh- that's what they were going for. But and by the way, does Lambert have to make homophobic jokes like that? But like that was a bit gross to me. I didn't like it. And I, I know I'm thick-skinned and stuff, but I, I didn't like that at all. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's, this is the company that take away signs that say "I love Twinks." So you know. <laughs> yeah, which most people in the group didn't understand until it was just <laughs> explained to us. But yeah, yeah, I, I didn't. That felt off color to me i didn't like that at all even yeah, like, I mean, like even from a hill what is the point in lambert in general paul uh, ricky Dan, no time for any of them yeah but like he's a good promo though right like i don't mind if he's cutting good promos but like i just yeah there's like yeah we don't need the homophobia mate i, I think quite like to an impact i think in aw though it's a bit like it's a bit it's just a bit yawn it's like He's not getting anyone over, like, it's not, you know, like Don Callis, where it's just like, you want him to get his comeuppance. Dan Lambert, it's got a bit just, and, and you're right, and I think it's connected, Dom, to, to part of what you talked about, but just also, just like, it's just also a bit go away, he, and, and it's just ridiculous as well, because like, Sky, and especially Paige, are like great talkers. Maybe it's just a vehicle to get like, Dos Santos and Masterval in there, but oh, I don't know. Page Van Sant maybe as well, but I, it's just, 
yeah, I just fast forward when he's talking. No interest in that. I, I don't. I don't really follow MMA, right? So, but like, is he? Would he actually be kind of a draw to another audience as a mouthpiece? Like, are there anyone that's like, oh yeah, Dan Lambert? Let's tune in and see what he's saying. Like, is that a thing? For for people people who know Dan Lambert, I would guess, and I'm, you know, I might be wrong about this. I remember, I know him from when they did the Ultimate Fighter season and it was two teams against each other and it was uh, American Top Team versus Black Zillions. And that was kind of where he kind of probably became a bit of a, a celeb, but uh, as, as much as you can say that in the MMA world. But I don't see how, yeah, I, 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 he's not a draw, is he? <laughs> like, he's not, like, no demo's getting the Dan Lambert bump. <laughs> it is what you said about being a vessel because we are going to get, and I like, again, I don't know MMA, but it seems to me that the three draws are the three people you mentioned. And, like, Sammy, Sammy saying that, like, oh, I get to choose who the three members are. Well, I imagine that they're going to make Paige, uh, Paige wrestle. I, mm. I, Paige Van, someone help me, Paige Van Zeltz? Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine that that's going to be the story. And, a lot, I mean, I'll, I don't follow MMA, but I, I, I know enough to be like, oh, fuck, this would be interesting because I, you know, these guys... Uh, legit. Yeah. You asked the question in terms of does Lambert have enough draw to bring in a new audience? I don't think he does, but those MMA fighters definitely do. Like the most that I can think of is that potentially he brings in that kind of MMA audience who want to just hate watch pro wrestling and see him as their spokesperson. But I don't know why you would want those people watching the show anyway. But Like me. For the third time, I'll say it, don't follow MMA, but I really enjoyed that part with uh, Junior Dos Santos and Jake Hager, just like watching them just beat the shit out of each other. That was good fun. It's going to be quite, it's quite interesting really about, um, as someone who who kind of probably follows MMA a little bit more, how they've gone with um, Masvidal as kind of like he's the guy that they're building it to rather than Dos Santos is a bigger name Masvidal. Masvidal's like, he's, he's active now. He's like, he's, I think he's lost his past couple of fights, but he'll still be top 10 in the Wellers. And he was, he, he beat Nate Diaz and kind of got a bit of hype from that. I think he's got the record for like quickest knockout or something, but he's like, generally speaking, like Dos Santos was the boy. He was like fucking heavyweight champion and like knocking people out for fun. And, and when UFC was more popular as well, um, Dos Santos had the main belt and I'm really surprised I thought when I saw the three of them and there was someone else there as well I think there was Olofsky as well knocking about the time but I think I'm really surprised that they didn't build it around Dos Santos and they went for Masvidal um, as the kind of oh he's the big star that's what we're building to but I don't know if it's because he's younger and he's got more ability but yeah I found that very strange I do have a question that I would normally just google the answer to because it could be an embarrassing question to ask I think maybe some of our listeners might be interested too. If you like, what's the go with this? Like, um, isn't he some BMF champion or something? Is that real or is that like the FTW championship? Is it because he knocks people out? Yeah, that is a great a bit of a, a well, it's not quite FTW because obviously that's connected with Taz. It's like the bad motherfucker championship. The only thing that I know is they, they had it as like, because um, it was off the back of. Um, Masvidal knocked out Ben Askren in like five seconds, fastest knockout in UFC history. It's like sick as well, like flying knee straight off the bat. Yeah. And, and, and Nate Diaz, so the Diaz brothers who like, they don't necessarily have the best records, but they're marketable as hell because they're just like really like mouthy and stuff. And 
yeah, the UFC, like, you know, sticking with McGregor or whoever, they'll just try and make like kind of like big, like marquee fights with them or whatever. So they put, they put Masvidal versus, it'll be Nate, won't it? Yeah, put um, Masvidal against Nate and Masvidal won. And it, it was for this, like, yeah, again, this bullshit, like BF, BMF championship. But yeah, I, I don't think it's actually anything he's, he's defended. But he fought, uh chronology might be off. I think after that though, he fought um he had a couple of fights with Usman and lost both of them. So for the for the welter belt, which is a real belt. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think he's actually done anything with a with a BMF championship since to, to my knowledge. I'm not an MMA expert these days. If you spoke to me maybe four or five years ago, I, I knew a lot more, but that's my knowledge of it. Someone a more UFC person might might know more. But when I, when I hear that, I'm just like, like my main takeaway from that whole story is UFC is wrestling, right? Like it's just like you hear that and you're like, this, this could easily be, this is the FTW belt. And it's called the BMF belt, which is a stone called Steve Austin catchphrase, right? Like, like that's anyway, this, this is a whole nother, we could do this as a round table about how MMA is just wrestling that's got real fights. But, yeah, yeah. If, if you want to do that, I can I can I can bring along a, a bunch of great examples. So we'll maybe table that for a few weeks' time. Yeah, okay. Let's let's do that in a couple of weeks' time. One hundred percent sounds good. Deep dive into MMA is actually and boxing as well. They're both just pro wrestling, but with real fights. Okay, so lads, on did anyone want to like actually talk about Bound for Glory quickly? Because that seems like a pretty big show. I know we've we've gone pretty long here. I just wanted to mention the, the main event, but did um. Did Matt say that he had to leave short, shortly? Should we get yeah. the, the the report on the wrestling trip? <laughs> well, I can hang about a little bit longer because I've been doing stuff while you guys unpacked AEW. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't mind doing a bit of impact first. I've probably got about another 25 minutes in me or something like that. Cool. That that probably gives us enough time to do Matt's roundtable as well, right? Yeah, let's let's uh, let's speed round uh, TNA. The let's hear about the indie trip and that from the two mats, and then let's um, let's get into the roundtables. Are you sure you you don't want me to talk another twenty five minutes about George Masterville? Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, <well>, kind of now. <laughs> okay, but, uh, TNA Ross. I'm not sure if you're the only person that's seen this. I saw the first three matches, but I ran out of time this afternoon. I haven't, I haven't seen the main event, but I know, I know the finish and stuff, so that's okay. Okay, cool. So yeah, the only thing that I really wanted to mention was I thought that that the main event finish was absolutely brilliantly done. It was a face v face match. I thought the title between Alexander and Christian both pulled out all the stops. Fantastic match, brilliant uh, main event. Very much worth your time to go out and just seek that match if that's the sort of thing that you do. And then to have the finish of Alexander winning the title after obviously being kind of a tag team guy for so long, then having a good run with the X division belt and now moving up to the main championship, his wife and his kid were in the ring celebrating only for the heel Moose to come in, cash in his shot and win the title in a way that now means that Christian is, is off the roster, I'm assuming, and is back in a, in AW. There's rumours that it's the end of the partnership between the two promotions and you now have two people that are on TV all the time and are able to finish off a hot pay-per-view with a hot face versus heel feud. So for me, I think it was really well done. It makes you hate Moose. It makes you want Alexander to win the belt back in a similar way to uh, SummerSlam where Brian won the belt and then only had it stolen off him through 
Randy Orton. Can I um, add on to that, Ross, from the actual match? Yeah. The finish, like I said, I'm with you on the uh, the end with Moose was was brutal, really. His poor family have getting shoveled into the corner just to watch Moose spear through that. Well, the kid's dad. The kid was great. He really sold it brilliantly. He Absolutely, looked devastated yeah. that his dad had dropped the belt. But the actual match between Christian and Alexander, I thought the finish was amazing. He'd worked Christian's arm during the match. And you think, obviously, Josh Alexander used that ankle lock finish. So it's maybe at odds with where he would usually work. But when he locks that ankle lock in at the end and Christian's trying to crawl with his bad arm, he just treads on it while he's got the ankle lock locked yeah. in. So Christian has to go across with his opposite arm to tap. Oh, brilliant. Fantastic spot to, to end the actual match. Absolutely. Nowhere to go. Yeah, it's just brilliant. Alexander's really good at wrestling, isn't he? Amazing, yeah. We saw him that time in the ballroom, didn't we? Yeah, we did, yeah. Fantastic match, that. Yeah, I, I feel like he won me a shot round, maybe. Because <laughs> yeah. I think I just wrote tag team headgear. <laughs> <laughs> or, Rick, or Rick Steiner or something. And turns out he's incredible, yeah. And a shout out for um, the Kiss Demon turning up at the pay-per-view as well, which was probably low on the bingo card of things that were going to happen. I did see that. And my main takeaway was like, why the fuck is he still in there? <laughs> he was in there for fucking ages just stomping around I just like the idea of some lapsed Thunder fan seeing Johnny Swinger and the Kiss Demon going one on one and thinking <laughs> wow I haven't seen this in 25 years yeah yeah. Uh, everyone, everyone loves a bit of Dal Torborg yeah that was cool I'm not sure if anything else stood out on the show but uh, I, 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 I thought the exhibition match was great it's one of the ones I saw I thought it was just good fun spotty stuff yeah. and it's like you know what i had this thought during it where like i was watching it and i was like fuck me like these guys are doing so much more stuff even now than what like styles and daniels and joe did in their triple threat you know like wrestling has has come such a long way even i think like as far as athleticism you know you, you can argue that maybe the storytelling has gone out the window and it's nowhere near a better match or anything like that don't Someone will soundbite this and be like, Dom Phil thinks that that match was better than Joe and Daniels and Styles. But it just really, I was like, if you size this up, you know, whatever, 15 years later, and you just went athleticism and, you know, the ability of the wrestlers, you'd be like, 2021, it's just far and away, you know, it's mind-blowing what some of these guys can do. Anyway, yeah. that's the coldest take ever, sorry. I think that segues quite well, Dom, into what Matt and I were going to chat about. Yeah. Yeah, well, take, take it away, please. Tell the story. Well, I mean, Abram, are you referring to the opening match of the show we went yeah. to? Yeah. So we, we went, obviously, uh, me and Bram went to Ignite Pro Wrestling, which are my local uh, company, just started. It was their first show. And they put on an opening match between just Joe Lando and Corey McRae. Now, Corey McRae was a last-minute call-up to the card because they had a couple of guys drop out. And they put on, like, the most indie-rific every single move you've ever seen match. And, like, it was just bananas. I couldn't believe some of the spots they were doing. And, like, it was a Butlins vibe, you know, loads of kids there and stuff. Yeah, it was just a really good match, Brom. I don't know how to unpack it, but I'll just keep saying it was really good, like a destroyer as a transitional move type of good. <laughs> they were do yeah, like, the, the finish was... Um like shooting star into a, a triangle spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we, we, had a, we had a lot of fun, didn't we, mate? Yeah, it was um, a really fun show. Um, it was aimed towards kids, but um, there was loads of stuff for, you know, 
people like us to still get our teeth into. It was a lot of hill face stuff for us. It was right up your street, you know, like local guys. Definitely, definitely up for a trip. Yeah, the next show is in a tick the march. Um, obviously, the main event again was like a work rate match, but still like an element of fun because it had Gene Money in it and Warren Banks just looking a million dollars. Um, 6th of March that is, that is long term storytelling isn't it <laughs> yeah and they've got a tournament that has only got one match in it and so God knows what <laughs> this tournament's really getting stretched out but yeah it was just a really fun show and it was it was very much local wrestling yeah it was 12 quid a ticket or something like that and and yeah I just had a had a hoop being back at wrestling would you agree Bram I think you were on the same page really right yeah, yeah, I had a crack. I, I actually think about it. Like, I've been like, to a couple of kind of more family oriented wrestling shows, but not for over like a decade, probably. And it was just quite fun to be in the atmosphere and seeing the kids just absolutely fucking love it and get into it. Yeah. One of my, one of my highlights of that was a kid um, mishearing um, the sexual gammon chant for um, <laughs> G Money and, ch- and chanting sexual Darren, which is a, a lovely <laughs> life. Sexual Darren sounds like a chant for Team Shag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of brilliant kids there. Uh, yeah. One kid gave me a lot of jip in the main event. Yeah, there was a three-year-old that was just blowing on Matt for about, <laughs> about 20 minutes and his dad wouldn't do anything about it. Also loved um, one of the hills in one of the matches. I forget the guy's name. The kids were giving him a lot of stick and he just turned around and went, shut up, I'm winning. She's <laughs> <laughs> as good a good a comeback as I've heard from a wrestler. What was the uh, draw? Do you think ish in terms of numbers? You mean like how many were there? Yeah. 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 Well, apparently they About sold sixteen thousand fifty. <laughs> <laughs> apparently they sold one hundred and fifty tickets. I think. Yeah. So, very, good. very good. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And it was in it was in the back of a library, uh, but it was it was a smart little venue. Yeah. It, it was in, it was in the back of it was in a library that that sold draft beer. It's like <laughs> library. It's great. Yeah. My, my kind of library. <laughs> it, 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 uh, it would be a, a fun away day, lads. Um, but but it is very family oriented, but we'd still have a laugh and get on the beers. Good good yeah. day. Yeah, love love to hear members of the group having fun without me. Outstanding stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of which, like I I don't know if I'm gonna be on the pod weekly moving forward. I just wanna mention that I'm now under two weeks away from my first ever deathmatch tournament. I'm going to Leeds for Rise Underground on the 6th of November. I am fucking buzzing. Schlack is going to be there. Wow. Yeah, Schlack. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm really excited anyway. That's all. Um, I, and I promise I'll come on the show and talk about it. Yeah, that sounds wild. Do you have anyone going with you is it, or is it just you? Yeah, big clap. Nice, big clap, brilliant. Yeah, um, and big clap, <laughs> members of the group know him as big clap. Uh, Cole, big Cole. Um, yeah, absolute legend. So, yeah, we're, uh, I think, you know, we're going to meet up there and stuff. We're not, you know, traveling together, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Really great. I'm excited for uh, some deathmatch shit. So, lads, should we, uh, should we get into some main event time? Yeah, boy. Do you want me to do the, like, should I do the intro here live? Like, do you want yeah, me to do that? So we've got it, you don't. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, okay. Uh, <coughs> uh, just let, let me crack this beer. Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's roundtable includes cracking openers and the pillars of AEW looking into the future, 
This is the Wrestling Should Be Fun Roundtable! Take it away, Matt. Yeah, so um, it's one of those sort of open-ended ones. I haven't really got an agenda here or an answer. It's just a classic sort of discussion with, I don't know what people are going to think, but MJF cut that promo recently where he talked about the four pillars of AEW, and those four pillars in, in that promo were Darby Allen, Jungle Boy, himself, MJF, and uh, Sammy Guevara, because obviously that is, that's a four that they kind of built around since the start. Do you still see that as their kind of four pillars do you think those four are all going to go on and become a world champion and also has the signings they've made in the kind of year and a half since changed their four pillars if that makes sense as a question discussion topic um i know where to start top left on my screen is brum so brum you can go first with your thoughts i think for them the, the four pillars was just about that because they're the Homegrown's a bit of a wrong word because obviously like Derby was like hot in evolve and stuff like that. But but the kind of four guys that I guess really kind of got to real national prominence or, or well, national prominence or whatever as part of AEW. So I don't think that kind of changes. I, I know there's maybe people that you can throw in there like Daniel Garcia or whatever, but four guys that were in there from day one or day one-ish. Uh, sorry, you says. Um, and but but simultaneously like kind of were were built in built in AEW. I think it, they are the four, and I think that's why they are the four pillars, no matter whoever gets brought in. Adam Page, I guess, is is interesting, but he wasn't really made in AEW, but he obviously still had a decent enough like New Japan and ROH run to probably be excluded from that. But but I still think so four. I think I think to answer your question about will they become world champions, I, I think to to take it into a slightly different direction. I think there's a question of should they all become world champion? And my answer to that is no. I think MJF is, will be the first one, and rightfully so, for them to win the world title. And he's definitely a guy that should be AW world champion. I think Jungle Boy should also be AW world champion. Um, and he could even be the guy to take it off MJF, I'm not sure. But I think um, for those two, yes. I actually think for Darby and Sammy, I'd like to see them never win the title. And that's no knock on them two as performers. But I actually like the idea of what you just get these perennial guys that are stars, but they don't necessarily win the big title. And that's just something that doesn't happen anymore. Like if you go back to like WWF and you talk about like I don't know, like Piper Roberts, DBSE, perfect, these guys, you know what I mean? Guys who were like big stars, but they never held the belt. And they're still like icons in wrestling, but they didn't need to. And like sometimes I think wrestlers can actually get tarnished by a world title reign because then they get compared to world champions around them rather than just them as a star. And I think Darby and Sammy are two that probably fall into that. Like Darby's this iconic character and just like and and just so distinct. And Sammy is this, you know, exciting flip machine charisma boy, you know, what I mean, pretty boy. And, and I think actually giving them a world title, I think would taint their legacy in AW and I'd just like to see them there for a decade just being put in and actually what you talk about Matt about different people coming in I think that enhances these guys 
because it means they get to fight all these stars. Look at it's an odd example. I know we, we were probably thinking more about Adam Coles and stuff like that and Danielson's, but just looking at MJF holding on to Sting like he did, it's just brilliant stuff. And I think, or, or you know, Darby and Punk or whatever, I, I think it's good for them. And I actually think that they don't need to all four of them be world champions. I think there's enough to do both now in the future and other people bringing in for guys like Darby and Sammy to be stars without the gold. I mean, yeah, you've, you've summed up a lot of my thoughts there. Ross, anything you'd say to that? I was having a little thing about this this past week and just just the idea of four people that have currently not been champion, will they be champion in a promotion that seems to give longevity to their world titles mm. means that the likelihood, I think, is probably that they probably wouldn't. I think that the person least likely to of the four is probably Sammy G. Don't know how you guys feel about that. Like, like similar to what Brum was saying um, in that he, that he thinks that Paige wins in the next pay-per-view and that MJF takes it off him. And I think Jungle Boy is someone that they see long-term main event them in. And I don't think they necessarily think that about Sammy G, sadly, but he's certainly very good at being a mid-carder in both a solo capacity and part of a stable or a tag team. Um, so he's the one that I think is least likely to lift that world title. Fair enough. Yeah, like I say, I'm not sure myself. Dom? I disagree with Ross there. I, I think, I feel like Darby's the least likely to lift the world title because I think, I know he won the TNT Championship and stuff like that, but I just I don't think his appeal to the fan base is that of a champion necessarily. Um, I think it's that of a character, someone who will literally fucking die in the ring for the fans and do crazy stuff and make a connection with the audience um, you know, maybe one day he'll sort of get that Jeff Hardy rub and cross over and, you know, have his big feud with Triple H and win the title. But I just, I, I think the other three are more likely. I think Brummett sort of addressed a lot of the things that I kind of felt. Um, I'll try to address the second question there about whether we think they are actually the four pillars. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's like an asterisk about like four pillars that are kind of, uh, in uh, quotation marks, homegrown. Um, because I think you couldn't argue that since AEW started, you know, Jericho, Moxley, Omega and the Bucks, would like surely that's actually the four pillars in the company's, what is it, three-year history so far? I did, like, so I think, you know, I understand, you know, with the aspects of homegrown, I completely get it. And I agree that the ones that, hopefully, you know, carry the company forward and their new characters draw new money, you know, not just established fans from Japan or from WWE. But, um, yeah, as far as saying that they're the, the major stars in the company, I think that's a bit of a stretch. And I, I think that that doesn't change then necessarily if more and more people keep being brought in that are established from another TV program already. It's just, it's a different criteria. Yeah, I suppose that's kind of what you've just said there, Dom, is kind of, I think, in like the last bit with like other people are going to come in. So it's going to shuffle this kind of idea of who the four guys are. When it was brought up, I kind of thought, well, yeah, I suppose those are four guys that have always been given enough meat to chew on in terms of like stuff to do throughout the longevity of AEW. And they are all, again, yeah, in inverted commas, their own guys, homegrown. But I just wonder if that's going to change a lot. I, I just, they feel like a bit of an arsehole, a lot lower down, not all of them. I mean, MJF especially, I feel 
is always in in the mix, but they feel like they've dropped a couple of ranks somewhat in my in my view anyway. Maybe that's just my own opinion. Like it feels like with the, the signing of Cole and O'Brien and a punk, you've already got Moxley and Jericho, like you say. They just feel a little lower down the time pole. Now I know they're all, I think they're all in their twenties and they've all probably got a 20 year career ahead of them. And there's loads of time for them to all be world champion. But I just feel like maybe it's got a bit crowded for this idea of uh, four young guys that are going to get their chance. Like, I don't know if there's necessarily a, a planned path for the four of them. Not that that's a good or a bad thing, but the way MJF sort of said it, and it has been said before that they're the, the pillars. Like it felt like at one time, maybe there was a plan for all of them to be world champion, which I don't think is as clear since the influx of talent, if that makes sense. I think it's important to acknowledge as well that you can definitely be the pillar of a company without being world champion too, right? Like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, sure. You know, you look at, it's not the best example because, um, you know, The Undertaker won the world title in essentially, um, you know, one year into the company, but then he didn't win it again for another 10 years and he was, you know, the WWS major draw. I look at Rob Van Dam, TV champion, never won the ECW world title. Um, you know, there's there's loads of examples of people who are, you know, the guy in a company and they don't need that championship. Bristol City. They're the pillar of the championship. It's just, it's just the idea of if you do put that, I, I completely get what you're saying. I don't disagree at all. If you put that mantle on them, that like, even if it's sort of not official, like of these are the four guys. I suppose there's just an expectation that at some point they will all get to the same level. Does that make sense? Like, obviously, guys will win it a lot more, but they'll all hit the high that you're expecting of world champions. So, yeah, I don't know. Of the four, I think Darby's the one that probably least needs it because his character can get into feuds without needing it. But, yeah, I just thought thought it was interesting. I don't really have any hot views myself, like I say. I just, um, I'd like them to still persevere with this idea of having their own guys. Did you guys catch... Tony Khan's interview on a podcast called The Wrestling. I did not. Uh, so, like, um, it was an interview where he uh, first announced that um, Suzuki was fighting Danielson. So, like, that was the reason that I saw it. He basically made the comment that he that like he respects WCW as a company so much, but he's not going to make the same mistakes in terms of letting the young guys go and then handing that to the rival promotion. Because obviously, when you look back at the history, everyone looks at WWE rating WWF for their stars. But actually, what that did was shift along the mid-card to the WWF, and those guys became the stars over there. And he said that like he's tied down the four pillars to multi-year contracts, for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the booker obviously sees these guys as main people, whether that means that they become world champion or not is another thing. But if they're tied down for multi-year contracts, the likelihood is that, that they're going to be a main event at some point, right? Well, the, the important part of that is that he keeps them happy, whether it's in the main event or not. Because I like the guys you're talking about, your Jericho, Guerrero, Malenko, um, you know, name uh, removed because of moral reasons. They were just unhappy in WCW, weren't they? Because they were just sick of fucking you know, uh, Jarrett getting the belt and Nash booking his own shit and making fun of them on commentary, right? So, like, yeah, I think as long as as long as TK... And it's going to be difficult because, you know, how many people are on that roster? 900? <laughs> well, he's just got to keep everyone happy. But if he, if he gives these guys time and space to tell stories and, you know, and, if, and he keeps telling them, look, like, you're 
you're a part of this. Like I, I value you and here's your money. Um, I think, I think that'd be okay. But then on the other hand, like as much as the whole sort of narrative on the internet at the moment is like anti WWE and stuff, everyone's, you know, all of that generation, because these guys are all younger than us as well, I think. Um, but they, all of that generation, it's all of their dreams to work for WWE and work, you know, and have a match at WrestleMania, right? Like that's everyone's childhood dream. So, you know, there's still that little inkling in the background there. So, you know, I guess it's interesting in the future. I think values of wrestlers are transmutable. Like, I, I you know, you don't have the value of Sammy Guevara in or whoever in AEW isn't the same as it would be in WWE. Like, and because they are these kind of four pillars means that they have they've got bonus points or they've got multipliers. Maybe MJF transcends that because he's just so fucking good. But the other guys, I think if they're worth eight eight out of ten to 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 AEW, they're worth six to WWE. So from their point of view, it's like, what's the benefit of them leaving if they're actually the upper mid carders? I think actually it's more likely to go the other way that MJF could achieve everything in AEW, be seen as, oh yeah, he's fucking gold, and WWE bring him in that way. I think I think that's actually, funnily enough, I think more of a risk of him losing the stars in AEW counterintuitively, that they actually get bigger rather than them getting bored. Yeah, like, I guess this is a little bit controversial of me, but is Sammy Guevara overall as a package, is he better than Mustafa Ali, for example? You know, probably not. I mean, they're probably similar sort of workers. They're similar abilities promo-wise, similar in the ring, like similar charisma for me. They've, like they've both got interesting backstories. So I guess if you're Sammy G, who I think is incredible, one of my favourite wrestlers, but he, like you say, Bromit, uh, I think the word you use is transmutable. He's looking over at Ali and going, fuck, is that going to be me if I went over there? Yeah, yeah, spot on. Yeah. Can I just say that turning Mustafa Ali heel is fucking backwards <laughs> no one, one final thing if, if we're doing an, if we do if we talk about the aw four four pillars i think we need to do the proper comparison and i think that if we are going to compare them to the actual four pillars then mjf's the biggest star so he's masawa jungle boy's the one that the red hot face who everyone loves so he's kabashi um kawada's the one who gets by on mystique so his derby which makes sammy tawe i think Bromit, you're the you're the AJPW expert. Are, are they all baby faces, or like was AJ, AJ, AJPW didn't really have faces and heels? So uh, <laughs> I won't give you the long answer. <laughs> Short answer is for the early days, for the burgeoning of, of those three, um, Tawe was a heel. Um, Kawada, well, actually, at, at one point, all four of them were faced in, in, in the early days of Super Generation Army, but very, very quickly, Tawai went heel, but the, and the other three were faces, and then Kumpro, what was, God, was it about 93, 94? Kawada then goes heel. So, um, yeah, so, oh, well, actually, yeah, so Holy Demon Army was Kawada and Tawai, so that's when, when, when those two were heels, sort of early mid-90s, but, um, yeah, but, yeah, Masawa and Kabashi kind of always loved because I don't until, think we, until we get to know when it gets a bit murkier, but we never got that far in our narrative when we were sort of doing our AJPW lectures each no, when, when, when my lad goes to school in a couple of years, I'll get onto the Holy Demon Army. Because I'm still waiting for Tao 
I'm sure I butchered the, the pronunciation there, but I'm still waiting for him to come into his own because where I got up to, it's still Connolly's favourite. The other guy who's not in the four pillars, but was great. Hansen, Saruta? Saruta, Jumbo, yeah. Jumbo Saruta, yeah. It, it, it's amazing to me that there's someone else that comes in and supersedes him as a star because he was fucking massive in the uh, ones that I watched. Well. There's actually a lot of sad story to that, so I'll leave that for another day, mate. <laughs> oh, oh, Jumbo wasn't quite superseded. I wouldn't say that. He oh, was, okay. Well, he was, he was, but it was, um, yeah, there was issues surrounding that. Okay, um, I think, yeah, what, one day we should like just give Brummett an hour to come off the long run about AJPW and a roundtable. It's just what the what the topic will be to get him to channel it into an, an entertaining hour. That'd be great. I'm sure the people of North Bergen would love it. One one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And our second is that okay, Connolly? You happy with that? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, some good insight there. I think um, you, like I say, you guys watch a bit more of the product than me, so um, I'm glad you kind of all still have faith in the journey of them all, which I do too. But um, yeah, I'm glad that you all feel they they've got a path, and the stuff about not winning the title uh, makes complete sense as well. Cracking question, by the way, Carl Munches. Like, yeah, I think I, I what I probably should have said. Someone mentioned Hangman there as well. Like, I think. Hangman's pretty stiff to not be considered in that four pillars as well. I mean, I know he had a bit of a name in Ring of Honor and he came in with the elite, but I think he's gone and he's coming to his own really. Well, I think the majority of fans that are watching AEW now would consider him a homegrown star, right, as well? Yeah, I would. I would but I mean, yeah, I suppose that's another debate, isn't it? But I would. Yeah. Well, he, ne- he never won a world championship anywhere else, that's for sure. Well, I, this is probably wrong. Someone's going to correct me there, but not, not as far as I know. He won the Swindon World Title and you know, his brief sejourn to the UK. Brilliant. Is, isn't, is Swindon, I only know, I've, I live in the UK, I've been here for seven years, I've never been to Swindon. Isn't Swindon <laughs> the place in the office where the big, uh, like the boss is? Isn't Swindon like the main? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. exactly what Swindon is, yeah. Yeah. The jewel of Wiltshire. <laughs> Outstanding. I love that. Ross, I would like you to uh, swindle us away with your roundtable topic, please. Sure. Just to note that um, only like two, three years ago uh, in Swindon, uh, 4FW had Kenny Omega on their show. So, so, you know, big wrestling town. And is that who Hangman Page beat for their world title? everyone thinks like AEW's hot it's just fucking what was going on in Swindon five years ago it's like the WWE summer of punk (laughs) (laughs) AEW's just ripping off Swindon pro wrestling (laughs) they put on Danielson Suzuki first as well Um, (laughs) super editor Phil if you listen to this can you please splice in the officers theme music so what becomes Yeah. <laughs> Ross, go on. Yeah, so obviously um, I'm the biggest fan of Crown Jewel of all time. So, <laughs> so I loved the opening match, which was the Hell in a Cell match. And I just wanted to potentially have a little uh, chat about great opening matches that we've seen, whether that be live or on TV or on VHS. And just to kind of wet the whistle with a few... I wanted to mention, firstly, uh, from seeing it live, um, 
Travis Banks against Matt Riddle when Banks was champion and Matt Riddle had to um, be in Yeovil. <laughs> so it was the opening match at like 4 p.m. Um, because he had a show at 7 p.m. in Yeovil. Um, that was amazing and uh, a treat as an opening match. And then on TV, um, there's a few, obviously, that we could potentially go with. But for me, I'm going to talk about um, 1997 SummerSlam. Mankind versus Triple H in a steel cage, the classic blue steel cage, which is highlighted, of course, at, um, with a Foley um, at Madison Square Garden doing the uh, elbow drop off the cage, something that he saw, well, not an, an elbow drop, but he, but he saw Jimmy Snooker do what, when he hitchhiked to the arena uh, that he talked about in his book. And also in that book, he also mentioned that um, the spot in that match where China slams the blue skate uh, the, the blue cage door on his head um up to that point was the most ex- was the most painful experience that he'd ever had in a wrestling ring and knowing what that bloke put himself through that's an almighty statement so yeah that was what i wanted to talk about just because i enjoyed the opening match at crown jewel and i'm sure that you guys have got some great ones can i go first and get my shit in just because i've got to run um, i haven't got many to offer anyway um, so I was going to go for the exact same one as you, Ross, in terms of seeing stuff live. That um, Banks Riddle match was that the match where he kicked out of a second rope tombstone? It was, yeah, <laughs> it, absolutely insane opening match. And that was the first match, first chapter match I'd ever seen. Um, that was actually the the uh, start of Babyface Banks becoming booed because yeah. they were turning him into Reigns, right? And then they even play, um, played that off in that match where he turned heel. Yeah, um, my other two uh, from WWE uh, in the last 10 years or so uh, that I remember thinking were really good when I was thinking about this. Um, the Daniel Bryan Bray Wyatt Royal Rumble opener. Oh, yeah. Bingo. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a, a bloody good one. And um, Battleground, I'm going to say 2014, it could have been 30. Uh, Usos versus Hopper and Rowan in a two out of three falls match. I remember being nuts and there being some amazing spots in. So they're mine. Sorry if I've stole yours there, Dom, but Ross <laughs> stole mine, so maybe you'll steal Brums. Yeah, seeing that. Um, yeah, I was so one of mine on my list was uh, uh, Daniel Bryan versus Bray Wyatt from that Royal Rumble. It's one of those that just I think is really forgotten because it, it's the famous Rumble show, isn't it? Where like the fans booed because Daniel Bryan wasn't in the Rumble. Yeah, and. So obviously, so it's before WrestleMania 30, right? It's that one. And is that right? Or WrestleMania 30? It's after WrestleMania 30. Um, Am I getting... I think maybe it's after WrestleMania 30 and people got annoyed again because he wasn't... No, I think it is before WrestleMania 30 and they changed it because of the fan reaction, I think. Yeah, it's the one... Batista wins the Rumble. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, but I just remember, like, it just... That match itself just gets lost in the shuffle. It, well, I just remember being I, at the time. I was like, everyone else was really annoyed because um, Daniel Bryan hasn't come in as like the mystery number thirty slot, and I am too. But at the same time, what a fucking banger! I've got a few others. Uh, I don't know how many of these are going to ruin Brummett's uh, slot in the main event. So sometimes, really, really great uh, wrestling shows. Uh, they need to have a great opener, right? And one of my favourite wrestling shows of all time is Heatwave 98. Um, the opener is just incredible versus Jerry Lynn in an absolute fucking barnstormer. Was that, um, 
another tombstone off the top. Yeah, tombstone from the second from <laughs> Just Incredible. Yeah, they well, we found the formula. <laughs> yeah, um, I wonder why Bray Wyatt didn't do a tombstone off the second rope in WWE. Coward. So, yeah, so that that go, that goes without saying. So you know, like you know, maybe my favorite wrestling show of all time. That was the opener, right up there. And then sometimes the measure of a great opener is the fact that it was the only good match on a really poor show. And I think, so I stopped watching Ring of Honor in, a, I guess, I don't know, 2010 or something. Um, but I was a massive, massive fan of Ring of Honor before that. And officially up until that stage, the worst show that Ring of Honor ever ran was when they did a best, the American Best of the Super Juniors tournament. Um, because they kind of let New Japan Pro Wrestling book it. And they made this guy called Dragon Soldier B, who wasn't very great, like go over in the tournament. And he he won the final against, I can't even remember who he beat in the final, but he essentially, like him winning the tournament, Ring of Honor fans just couldn't get past it because um, they ever, all Ring of Honor fans like myself, we thought it was a chance for either, you know, American Dragon or Spanky or Homicide to get a New Japan Pro Wrestling rub, but it was just the New Japan shit guy wearing a mask who won it, and it was awful. But the opener on the show was um, American Dragon versus Spanky, and it was the only real good match on the show, but it was, like, just so much better than everything else on the show that it always just stood out as, like, this sort of fabled, amazing opening match in Ring of Honor history. Um, So I remember that from the forums back in the day about just how great that opener was. So two Daniel Bryan ones. And the last one, I think it would be remiss if we didn't mention Brett versus Owen, WrestleMania 10, right? Just just a special, special match in wrestling history. And, um, you know, one of, as far as I'm concerned, one of two five-star matches on that pay-per-view and one of two only good matches on that whole show. But it just so happened that it's one of the best singles matches ever. Yeah, absolutely amazing, that match. And it's got so many great little moments in it that obviously um, that people are still doing now. Um, CM Punk and Darby Allen did a small little tribute last month as well, right? Yeah, was that Brett Nolan or was that Brett and Kid? Oh, sorry, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but no, but still, like, just the victory roll finish, like, and and yeah, it's just just an amazing, yeah, just an amazing match. Just like, just great, you know, just a great story as well. Previous um, to um, Brum going into his ones, can I just mention that? Um, so on. No, on January the 4th, 2017, Kenny Omega wrestled Okada in uh, um, Wrestle Kingdom 11, went 46 minutes in an, in an all-time classic. And then two weeks later, he wrestled 4FW New Year Resolution at Swindon and um, beat Tiger Alley. <laughs> in 47 minutes. <laughs> it was 28 minutes. What an unbelievable name of a show, New, Year, New Year's Resolution. <laughs> unbelievable. Brummett, do you, have, do you have any to add, mate? I hope I haven't stood on your toes with any of mine. Everyone's mentioned about 36 Daniel Bryan matches, I think, and I've got another two. The, oh shit, I've, I've, I've already been indoctrinated. After, after years of calling him Dragon, he moves to AW and I start calling him Daniel Bryan. Um, the, uh, but uh, but these are both actual Daniel Bryan matches. One, interestingly, Dom mentioned the second best ever WrestleMania opener. I'll mention the best, Bryan versus Triple H. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Just so good. 
like even though we kind of knew what was going to win just like who's going to win the moment and everything about that and that that match is actually because of the you know you remember that match for the emotion but i actually went back and watched it as a wrestling match fantastic you know really holds up underrated i actually think in the wrestlemania canon i think it's one of the best mania matches of all time is brian versus triple h so good um the other brian one is okay so um i know a trope of mine is is money in the bank 2011 so i'm gonna go with that as well and uh yeah the the money in the bank ladder match which brian won with uh which was just uh like i know i have a go at gimmick matches but that was just one that was so well put together Sheamus was on fire. Sin Cara was taking mad bumps. Kane was did a great job in that match. There's like I think it's like Barrett Rhodes and Brian, wasn't it, fighting about at the um, over the title at the end of it. Yeah. Brian choking out. I think it was Cody on the ladder. Just yeah, just an absolutely cracking match that. And yeah, to one of to maybe WWE's greatest ever pay per view um, and a great opener for it. Couple more. One I think the. One that I absolutely cannot believe has been mentioned because I think it's, I think if you spoke to ninety five percent of wrestling fans, they'd get they'd go for this as the best opening match. WCW New Blood Rising two thousand three count versus the Young Dragons. The ladder match. Well done, yeah, the ladder match with with um. This is very much a Ross pick, and I'm glad he popped in um as a silly fun opener with the. Three counts gold record hanging above, and if the young dragons got it, then three counts would have to stop singing. Tank Abbott getting in there with the usual WCW 2000 nonsense and just a stupid, spotty, fun main event, but one I remember really, really liking at the time. And I did kind of speed watch it earlier on today, and I wouldn't quite say it holds up, but it was a lot of fun. We definitely like just a just a shout out. Like we don't put a lot of stuff on the website wrestlingshouldbefun.com anymore, but one day we might do it again. Um, but uh, we did that as a nerd watch, and I definitely wrote like I wrote my part of the column about that match. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I, I I can't remember what I said, but I you know if you want to hear the uh, the linguistic stylings of uh, Dominic Phil, go and check <laughs> that out. I think that was the year that with the Wrestling Should Be Fun Awards, I actually won Best Writer, Brummett. I don't know if you've got anything to say about that. Like, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's like it's like how Bruce never wins the fucking, like, Booker Prize or anything. They've got to give it to, like, writers where it means something to them. <laughs> <laughs> but I, fine. <laughs> Finally, the um, and I, I didn't actually, I didn't actually have it on my list. But when you guys were talking about live matches, this wasn't necessarily. This isn't the best open I've ever seen, but a, a brilliant story for an opening match. I dragged my, my mate uh, Dan to the to the graps, and he'd, he'd never been before. And I was just like, honestly, mate, I know that you're not into it, but live, it's really fun. It's not, it's not what you think. Like you'll have a really good time. So we rocked up to uh, a Fight Club Pro show at the a venue in Shepherd's Bush. Is it like Bush Hall? I think off the top of my head is what what they call it. <laughs> the and I was just prepped him before. I was like, look, mate, like I know you've come here, but the opening match is usually just like 
maybe a couple of the young lads that that, that are coming up. So don't overjudge it too much on this match. <laughs> the opening match was MK McKinnon versus Will Ospreay. So it's like his first ever wrestling match that he ever saw, basically. Like, or, or, well, I mean, not only live, but just in general. I think the first ever wrestling match he saw was uh, Ospreay. And they both, like, absolutely went for it as well. It was a proper banger. And he was just like, this is incredible. What's coming next? And I had to then tell him, no, like, that is actually one of the best wrestlers in the world. <laughs> just that he just won. But, <laughs> Um, yeah, Attack and Fight Club Pro used to do that a lot, didn't they? That have, a, I guess, a lot of wrestling companies do like a strong opener. But mm. I, I, I remember like all those attack shows at the Dome. They, you know, oftentimes it was just about the main event that would open the show. I remember one time we were there with uh, uh, Harris's good mate Shad, who became a good friend of ours, and um, I think it was like, you know, Shad was like, we're like, you know, same sort of thing. Oh, midweek, midweek wrestling, mate. You know, don't expect too much. We'll see what happens here. And the first people out were British Strong Style from the telly. <laughs> and, and he's like, holy shit, I know these guys from the TV, you know. I had the opposite experience with my mate Andy Barrel. His only ever wrestling show, and he'll never come back, um, was the, 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 I'm there, I'm like, yeah, it'll be good fun, mate. You know, there's music and singing and we can drink. And the first match was like Timothy Thatcher versus someone in like a blood sport style, like rolling around on the mat, grapple, grapple-a-thon. And it was like, and he's just like, what the fuck is this? And then I always remember the the punchline is after the second match, he was like, oh, that one was a lot better. There was like, there was like some flips and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes, so who's top of the league? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, outstanding stuff. I think you need to you need to do a watch along of the Bound for Glory series with him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I presume TNA don't still do that, right? I used to love that tough away game to Bubba Ray Dudley. <laughs> I think that's second in line of like great TNA ideas behind the hard 10 championship. And like each weapon had a different points rating. So you had to, you had to hit someone with two chair shots, one guitar and a chain to get to 10 points. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. The hard 10 championship. Uh, above average, Mike Sanders, I think, was uh, was the mainstay of that division. <laughs> uh, speaking of 2000s WCW, mate, outstanding stuff. Outstanding stuff with openers. Hey, you know, talking about mania ones that are underrated, I just wanted to mention AJ Styles versus Shane McMahon. Don't sleep on that. That was decent too. Right. Should we do some Booker Bingo? Just quickly, previous to us uh, going to the Booker Bingo, um, me and Scharf had like a, um old school... Ross and Shafi watch wrestling till 3am for the first time in like what seems like 15 years, like the sort of shit that, that we used to do when we were 14 in uh, Bristol. And uh, we were just randomly watching different things on the network and we were just picking up different like Nitros and ECW Hardcore TVs and, and things like that. And we watched a Nitro from 2000 where Johnny the Ball is against um, Terry Funk and Johnny the Ball does this springboard leg drop onto Terry Funk, who's on the outside, onto a chair. And he ruptures his urethra. Oh. <laughs> and finishes the match. <laughs> how do you know that he ruptured his urethra? Like, how so, did you... So, like, he got up, but he couldn't really move. And he gingerly got in the ring and did, like, um, a similar finish to the Lance Archer match. And then I was like, that's insane. And well, I looked at... Moon spotted onto his head after damaging his urethra. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just looked it up on, on the internet. And yeah, he like, he basically had like three or four injuries. But the main severe one was 
the ruptured urethra, which unbelievable. Anyhow, let's hope that he's on Booker Bingo. <laughs> WCW was fucking mental. <laughs> did you win Booker Bingo last time, Ross? No, uh, Shafi did. Oh, what a dick. I know, right? Why isn't yeah. he here? Ruins the format. He's too busy watching Nitros from 2000. <laughs> B-I-N-G-O and Bingo was his name Oh. Shall I host again? Yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> Interesting one. It's not intergender. <laughs> I don't know how kayfabe you want to do this, if you want to go this one or you want me to refresh it. It's not a bad one. Um, Monty Brown of TNA fame. I absolutely used to love Monty Brown. Against Rick Martel. Oh. Right, I'm going to pick on... Um, uh, I'll give I'll give Dom a bit more time because he's he, he's 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 been a he's got ring rust, hasn't he? So uh, Ross Monty Brown versus Rick Martel. Okay, so I'm gonna go um, TNA 2005 or whatever it was when he was big. Rick Martel has been out of the business for five, six, seven years post WCW, where he had his little run in '98. Um, people seem to take to him quite well during that run where he had the US title matches with Booker T that were quite well thought of, but unfortunately he was injured. And um, it's been seven years. Not a lot of people are talking about him. And I'm pretty sure, I might be wrong, but is Rick Martel Canadian? Yep. Yeah, he's from Montreal. Okay. So, Marcus Corvon is going through Team Canada. He's taking them all out. Scott Demore, gone. Is it Skipper? Gone. Pete Williams, gone. There's nobody left. And he's telling everyone, you know, USA, USA, spearing through the Canadians until we hear the music of Rick the Model Martel. He's back. It's been seven years. The crowd pops and he says... Marcus Corvon, it's time for you to feel the pain of the Boston Crab. And we get Marcus Corvon looking like he's seen a ghost. He can't believe it. Martel get, gets in the ring. Everyone's not too sure if he's still got the athletic ability. Corvon goes for the, for the spear, leapfrog, misses it. He's on the floor, Boston Crab. Everyone goes wild. Corvon, the guy that going through everyone, He's struggling to, to match Rick Martel. He's r- fresh as a daisy after seven years away. Cut scene. We're building up now to the pay-per-view. Now we've got Turning Point 2005. Rick Martel versus Marcus Corvon. And Marcus Corvon's been embarrassed. So he says, the only way that I'm going to accept this match against a wrestler with the caliber of Rick Martel is if he puts something on the line. And that is the future of Team Canada. And Rick Martel, he's got full belief in himself. And he says, yes, I will take this on. Team Canada, the future is in my hands. And we get a match between the two. And it's back and forth. Corvon with the power moves. Martel kind of having to evade with, te- with his technical skills. But unfortunately for Team Canada, Corvon hits the spear. And he beats him one, two, three. And it's the end of the career 
of Team Canada. That's put in the past. Marcus Corvon moves on and he becomes a TNA champion in the revised history, something that he should have warrantly had because he was so fucking great at the time. And he gets um, the extra prize of putting Team Canada to bed as well as the legend that is Rick Martel. So uh, I really like that, Ross, but you will get minus points because you you gave Monty Brown his ECW name. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm such a WWE mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting um, that you mentioned Turning Point 2005 and Monty not winning the title because in Turning Point 2005, Monty fought Christian Cage for the number one contendership to the, the title, which Christian won. There you go. My one's better. <laughs> <laughs> That's interestingly, I know, like, um, Turning Point 05 is also the one with the absolute banger of a match between Joe and AJ for the, oh, yeah. for the yeah. absolute banger that match. One of top five comfortably, I think, all time, TNA. Would have been better than my uh, Monty Brown versus Britt Martel, but maybe... I was, all over, I was all over it. Like I said, it's just minus points for Marcus Carvon. <laughs> Dom, have you got one that where you get the his name right in the correct company? Uh, yeah, I'll have a go here. Um, I'll have I, I've sort of I've sort of developed the way I'm going to get to the match and not thought about the match very much at all. So, um, so dear listener, you'll hear that I have some prepared remarks now, but then I'm going to make it up when we get to the match. Okay, so uh, I'm also going to do some TNA stuff. Um, so. I'm, I'm imagining like Don West used to be like a, a telemarketer salesman, right? On like the home shopping network before he was a commentator for TNA. So I imagine like TNA in 2005, they're deciding they're like, okay, we're going to start to use Don West for more than just a color commentator. We're going to start to get in and selling some merch on shows. So we've got like Don West, like between matches, he's upselling TNA products. Um, there's like, Samoa Joe muscle buster bodybuilding supplement. You know, you want to look like the great athletes of TNA wrestling will get the muscle buster supplement. Then there's like, I don't know, Jeff Jarrett's the stroke uh, defibrillator or something like that. Um, and then the last one is going to be um, alpha male, uh, Monty Brown, alpha male cologne. You know, look good, smell good, feel good. Um, the ladies will pounce all over you when you smell like the alpha male and the Serengeti. So this is going on for a few weeks and Don West is upselling the alpha male cologne. And then in a match that uh, Monty Brown is having against Sharkboy, um, he, he whips Sharkboy into the opposite side of the six-sided ring and he's about to hit the ropes and go for the pounce. And all of a sudden, here's a mysterious figure with uh, um, a massive, big fucking golden spray bottle with like the like the French spray. I really wish I knew what that was called that the model Martel had with Jake the Snake Roberts at WrestleMania 7. But he's got the big like spray thing with the sponge on the end. And as Monty Brown goes for the pounce, Here's this cloaked figure that no one knows who it is. And he, he hits Monty Brown in the eyes with um, something uh, 
foreign object out the end of this big giant golden spray bottle. And uh, Monty Brown's rolling all over the canvas. Um, he's blinded. So, uh, and in, in rolls this mysterious figure wearing uh, Gucci designer sunglasses and a uh, Calvin Klein hoodie. He pulls back the hood and takes off the sunglasses and it's Rick the Model Martel. Um, and he gets the microphone and he, in his uh, French-Canadian accent that I won't do, he says, there's only one cologne in the world of professional wrestling and it's not alpha male cologne. The real alpha male is the model, Rick Martel. And arrogance is the cologne that you want to buy for your loved ones this Christmas. Um, so then what we have uh, at the next pay-per-view, this is where I'm making it up now, is um, we have a uh, arrogance and uh, alpha male cologne on a pole match. So you've got the big fuck off um, sprayer on the pole. And it's the model versus uh, Monty Brown. And... Um, the whole match, the model is just working the eyes. He's raking the eyes. The referee's back is turned. He's doing everything he can to attack the eyes of the alpha male. Um, but eventually we get the alpha male in classic babyface form. He wipes his eyes on the top rope with the taunt that he used to do to uh, make his eyes feel better, hits the pounce. He gets the uh, alpha male cologne off the pole and um, just... I don't know. He makes the model smell good before he hits him with the one, two, three in the pin. And uh, that's, that's the end of the feud. Alpha male cologne um, does record numbers of sales on uh, tnashop.com. So I think, I think I really enjoyed them both lads. I think where obviously Ross got a minus point for his Marcus Colvon show part. I think um, Dom's minus point goes for not correctly naming the atomizer. Um, Atomizer is the word. I just couldn't think of it. That's what I was looking for. But Dom actually does nick it because any feud with Don West is an absolute win for me. Um, my favourite announcer of all time. So um, congrats, congrats, Dom, on your on your return and picking up a a book of bingo win. Yeah, that's a one hundred percent a win for going second because I. I <laughs> I think that the only way that Dom's could have been better is if he had Earl Hebner as ref for the match with the pole match. And on the side, he's been selling the merch. <laughs> and, <there's laughs> <no> merch. <laughs> and they've got to, <laughs> and they've got to use something else on the pole. <laughs> That's absolutely wonderful, Ross. Oh no, you've just won. You've just run in at the end and hit Dom with a chair and taken the bout. Well done. <laughs> Also, whilst Don was talking, I was like, oh, mate, I should have had them as a tag team that then break up and they would have been called Spear Force. Damn it. That's too clever. <laughs> uh, right, lads. Uh, yeah, well, sorry, Don, you can do your sexy sign-off, but I've, uh, I've, I've got to run because I've got some hot food waiting for me, but I'll, uh, I really enjoyed that, lads, and I'll catch you later. Cheers, Brum. Good on you, Brum. Right, let's wrap this thing up. I can't really remember. Righto, scholars. Uh, Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. That's another one in the bank. Um, my thanks go to our guests this week, Ross the Boss Casey, Matthew Brum Brummett, and Big Lady Cool, Matt Connolly. But thank you most of all to you, dear listener. Uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, get around us on the social media, you know where, Twitter, Instagram, and go check out some of the blogs on the websites. We'll catch you soon. Until then, though, drink lots of water. Look after your mates. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.
Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. 